Hello and welcome back to Customer Marketing Catch-Up. Today, Will Witham, Senior Copywriter from CMO Alliance, steps in as host to talk to Joshua Zirkel and Ari Hoffman about the importance of multifaceted communities and how they are the future for community-based companies. This podcast is brought to you by Influitive, the world's number one customer marketing and advocacy platform designed to supercharge customer engagement and deliver social proof at scale. From referrals and references to reviews and video testimonials, Influitive does it all. Close more deals all with a customer-first approach through Influitive. Hello, hello. Bit of a different voice speaking today. Um, I'm Will filling in for Eve today. Unfortunately, she can't make it for this recording. She sends her apologies, but I am joined by Ari Hoffman and Josh Circle. I'm going to be having a great conversation about multifaceted, multifaceted community building. And I'm really excited about this topic because even though I'm not an absolute expert on customer marketing. I am keen about communities. I, I work for a community-driven company and particularly multifaceted ones can be very interesting. Uh, but before we get into that good stuff, Josh, maybe you could introduce yourself to the audience. I think most people are familiar with Ari at this point, but we'd like to hear a bit more about you and sort of your background. Yeah, sure. Thanks, Will. Hi, everyone. I'm Josh. I am a community builder. I've been leading community programs for gosh, close to 20 years across nonprofits, private companies, and public companies, and all the gamut in between. I really love bringing people together. I think a lot of interesting things happen when people connect around a common cause or interest or just something that they want to achieve. And when you do that for an organization officially in the community building capacity, you can drive a lot of really amazing results for the organization and for the individuals who are part of it. And the way that I, I view my world and what I do is I get to help facilitate that. And so currently I'm at Asana. I've been here about six years. I started our community program from zero. And our program includes a large array of ways that people can connect with us and with one another. And of course, we'll probably talk about some of those today. Prior to Asana, I built the community program at Evernote which at the time that I was at Evernote, it was like the darling of Silicon Valley. And so we had a massive B2B and B2C customer base and really worked to create an awesome community for those people so that they could learn all the ways that they could get value out of Evernote. And prior to that, I built community as part of a professional association that I was at called the National Association of Productivity and Organizing Professionals. Quite a mouthful, but this was a group of people who were offering productivity consulting to their clients. And I was uh, president of that professional association who are all volunteers and building a community of volunteers is an entity unto itself that we could chat about at some point. But I really love this work of bringing people together, whatever the context, because as I said, I think we can all achieve more together. Definitely, definitely, Josh. And I'm just going to say, yeah, we are Asana users at the Alliance. And one of the things I am most impressed about with the brand is the community they've built. It's, it's very, very it's very, very personable. It's very, very easy to access, um, no matter what kind of issues you might be having. So yeah, very excited to be having this discussion with you, Josh. Um, let's start by sort of laying a foundation for the conversation, shall we? And let's let's work out a definition for what we mean by multifaceted communities and maybe how they're different from what listeners might be thinking of as traditional communities. I'm saying that in quotation marks, traditional communities. Yeah. So just context, I think the world of community building, professional community building within organizations for the purpose of driving business results, it's very similar to me 
where the world of customer success was maybe 10 or 15 years ago, where at the time there was sales and there was support, but the notion of having a, a specific function that was in between these that was designed to help customers be successful with the product, it was unheard of. And now every company that offers a service of any sort, especially in the B2B world, has a customer success function. It's not even something that is considered, do we need this? It's automatic. Right. And community is in a similar spot. Currently, community, just by the nature of where it comes out of, typically most companies have a support community. And it's usually a forum. And that is the beginning and the end of their community program. To me, it's not even a program. It is a function. A program, when I talk about something that's multifaceted, it's designed to do more than just solve problems for people when they arrive. That is a function of community, but is not certainly the only thing that community can do. I think it's incredibly reductive as to what's possible when you have a very robust, multifaceted program that touches many channels and meets customers where they are. So when I talk about a multifaceted community, to me, what that means is, well, there are many facets to it. The forum is one of them, but there needs to be something for people who are really engaged and excited about your product or your service. There needs to be a way for people to connect online and offline. There needs to be more than one channel where people are able to do the community thing, whatever that thing may be for a given organization. And the purpose of community can then be elevated so that it touches many parts of the customer's journey and many facets of work within the organization itself. So I, I think when we talk about communities, we need to be really clear on it's way more than just forums. Forums are really important, but in my experience, there are forum people and then there's everyone else. And I'm mostly interested in the everyone else because that's the bigger chunk of the people. So, so I want to jump in real quick here, Will. One, I think everyone who's listening to this has to realize, you know, if you don't know Josh, he, he's one of the OGs of community. So he has watched it evolve and grow. So the, the information he's sharing with us isn't something, you know, an idea. It's something he's actually been through and experienced the trials and tribulations and the failures of doing it in different ways. So all of this advice is, is so incredibly valuable. And I think one of the things he brings up for, for those who are less um, mature in the way of understanding communities is B2C tainted a lot of B2B community because in B2C, you can have more of a forum experience sometimes, right? If you're thinking like a Fitbit watch, people are going to be in there so often asking so many questions about so many different things that they stay engaged. But in B2B, when you talk about what Joshua's, which is just a support forum, which is ticket deflection, right? That's the function of it. It's ticket deflection. How do we reduce the cost of our call handle times, reduce how many calls we're having to pick up, how many long effort, where can they self-solve, right? And so and when they self-service and self-solve, that's what the community is for. The problem is when you're in a B2B, you come in to solve your problem. When you're done, you leave. You have no reason to come back. You have a couple of the low-hanging fruit people who love to answer questions, but that isn't the majority of your customer base. So then people are coming into kind of an empty community with just a couple of people who are repeating the same answers all the time. So there is no reason for people to come back or feel engaged. And your company goes, well, I don't understand. Why aren't they engaged with our community? Why aren't they coming back? Well, because you didn't create a, a center of excellence for them, a place for them to really connect like Josh is breaking into. That's exactly right. I, I, I think when you view community programs through the lens of we're just trying to solve problems for people, to me, that's 
it solves a function, but that's kind of a bummer. There's so many more ways that if you get people excited and give them more places to go and more things to talk about than just, I have this problem, help me solve it. That's how you really build a deep level of customer engagement. Definitely. I, I see it as encouraging sort of, yeah, proactivity with engaging with the with the community by offering more than just like we're here to help kind of things. Um, I think, and from my own experience, uh, as I said, like I work for a, co a community led uh, organization. One of the things that really caused our community engagement, our community to sort of skyrocket in probably the last year was when we started offering more than just a forum where people could ask for advice and stuff like that. We started offering more ways for community members to connect with each other to share things about each about themselves with each other beyond just this is the problem i'm facing can you help me and it, it's really really been beautiful to see really and and i had to really really compliment our community managers they've, they've driven this program wonderfully in the last year um but yeah i think that's i think that's really what i see as a multifaceted community it is just offering more and more ways for, com for community members to connect with each other Mm -hmm. It's connecting yeah. with each other. It's getting inspired by each other. It's learning from each other, right? We're all the things. It's the FOMO, the fear of missing out, right? That social kind of separation that you create. Um, it's it's all of it. It's it's a community where you feel like you are a part of something bigger. Yeah, and I, I would say even in the world of B two B, which can feel frankly very dry in many cases. As it turns out, people still want to feel like they're part of something, that they're connected to something bigger than themselves. And I mean, if we look at it on the face of it, Asana is a product management tool. It's designed to help people manage their work more effectively. That on the face of it is not the sexiest thing in the world. But as it turns out, once you peel back some of the layers, people are, are really interested in ways that they can work better, work more efficiently, work smarter. And Underneath that, there's a really interesting nugget where people want to share ways that they've discovered to work smarter. And yeah. when you have a community that wants to share those ideas and you give people a framework and channels that they can talk about things, that's a lot of really awesome things that people can share with one another and, and share ideas and inspire each other way more than just, I have this problem, help me solve it. There is still that, but that is only a piece of it. And I think when you go from we're just solving problems to we're actually giving people ways to inspire each other and celebrate one another. It's a completely different lens that you look at things through. And I think that I think that's sort of baked into the Asana product itself. Like Asana, as you said, it's a workplace management tool, but it is almost set up as a community tool. Like the way you can celebrate successes on it, the way you can do those fun graphics when people do like good things on it. Like that's not something you see on every single kind of like workplace management tool. So it's a collaboration tool. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, um, I, I do want to say for those who are listening, who are just getting in, because the primary audience here is customer marketers and advocacy professionals, not community managers and community experts, is we will tie this together in our in our anecdotes and everything of how customer marketing and advocacy can work better with community and influence community and help community because community really is community. I mean, CLG, community-led growth is a real thing. Right. We've watched many companies do this really, really well. And we've watched even more companies do it very poorly. And so there is a place where customer marketing advocacy can hand handhold with this and move in. And that's why we have Joshua on the call today. Yeah, these, these functions to me are, are really closely related. They're just in most cases targeting different segments of the customer base. And for me, I work very closely and have for years with our customer marketing team here at Asana. 
we're all customer facing. We're all trying to get people engaged in different ways. And when we can tie our strategies together, we can just achieve more. Definitely, definitely. I think when it comes to sort of, when, when we're talking about B2B, I think we've got to acknowledge sort of the way that B2B has changed over the last few years, the way that people working has changed. The, the big shift to remote work, hybrid work means that people don't often have that person-to-person contact that they might have enjoyed in the office anymore. So it's almost a duty of care from B2B brands to provide these kinds of communities for people to almost look after their well-being, to make sure they're keeping engaged with their own work through these communities as well. Yeah, I, I really love that because I, I think there's a, a concept within the world of the decision makers who want to start a community program of we need this for the business. And that's true. Like the only reason a function like mine exists is to help support the goals of my company. But you do that by focusing on what the customer wants and what they need. And in a community program, you get to do that in a very ground level, very visceral way in many cases for people. And and some of that, frankly, is recognizing what is, for me, what does the current world of work look like today? How are people able to connect? What are the topics that they want to talk about? What can we offer to people to help them be successful? Some of that's directly related to Asana, the product. Some of it isn't. What can we do to help people connect with one another in ways that are just enjoyable and fun? And I, I say this with care because I think there is a a meme about community is fun. The community team, all they do is have fun. You see us taking pictures and posting them from events. You see our celebrations in our Slack group. If we do our work well, it appears fun. And the people who are taking part in the program definitely have fun. It is real work to make that happen. It takes real strategy and initiative to essentially make fun happen. And don't conflate the appearance of fun with not work because it's not the same thing. It takes work to make the fun happen. Definitely, definitely. Let's dig into some of those ways of making the fun happen. I think I think we've we've sold the benefits of community right now. Let's talk about a bit more of sort of the best practices of how you can sort of build these kinds of multifaceted communities for customers. Yeah, I, I think it's important first to figure out where your customers are. Where do they want to engage? What channels can they currently be found on? What are they currently using? The reason why is you want to make it really easy for people to participate. The more new places you ask people to go to, the less of a chance you have of actually getting them there. Because especially if we're talking about B2B in the context of work, by definition, the people who would be part of our community already have jobs. Presumably, they're already pretty busy. Asking them to go to one more place for most of them will just be a non-starter. So I'm really interested in hearing directly from community members, what channels are you already on? Where are you already hanging out online? What tools are you using at work where you might want to connect? For us, we actually just asked our community. We said, okay, we're thinking of starting more channels for you. Where would you like us to be? And that helped inform where we spend our time and where we don't to help cultivate those connection points. So. I think if we're talking about just base level, you need places for people to connect. Just ask your people, even if you don't have a community now, you probably have people who are interested in what you're doing or have said, when are you starting a community program or you already have really engaged people who have started Bubble to the Surface, you could say to them, we're thinking of starting a community program. Where would you like us to host it? Where would you be likely to go and why? Then once you have your, essentially your channels, 
then you need to make it really fun. You need to start out with things that are immediately adding value and enjoyment to the people who are participating, whether that's enhanced educational opportunities or preview access to new features. Sometimes it's, we're going to be running a contest, submit your template for what you built or show us the work that you've created or give us a great quote about how what we're offering has made a difference to you in your work. But you need to start with first offering a lot of value to people. What that value will look like really is dependent on what you and your company offers and what if after speaking with the people who are part of your initial community, what they say would be a value to them. So you don't have to guess. You can just ask. Usually works out better that way. And I think really, if you have a campaign calendar or a content calendar, tying all of the community efforts directly into that, one, helps amplify all of those efforts. Two, it makes it easier for you and your community team to come up with related content that gets forked from that broader community or the broader campaign calendar. And three, it lets people who are part of the community feel like they're part of this bigger thing that's happening. So you can leverage the community once you have a, a groundswell of people to participate in things that are directly related to the bigger marketing moments or externally facing moments that are happening. So it doesn't feel like it's thing that it's this thing that's happening off on the side. It's part of this greater whole. And community wants to be part of a greater whole. And so the more you can tie these pieces together, connecting the dots, it really makes a big difference for the success of the community and the feeling of participation for the people who are taking part in it. I mean, that, that, that was all incredibly valuable, all of it. But if I were to pull one thing out for customer workers and community members in it, or customer workers and advocacy professionals out of that was your customers are busy. They don't need yet another place to go. So if you have a community team, and, and honestly, Joshua, there are a lot of people who uh, in the CMA and the customer marketing advocacy world who kind of clash with their community members because community members are going, look, they're all here. I don't want to send them to a whole nother portal. I don't want to take people away from what this engagement is for your advocates and your customer marketing channels over here. I don't want to push too heavily on sales in the community because then people get pushed off on it. Right. And so there's there's this clash of how do we bring the two sides closer together and make them work in unison? It's really funny because right before we started the recording for this podcast, we were talking, I was just talking to Erica Cool. And I mean, look what she did. She brought the MVP program into the community. She didn't create a whole nother separate area. It was a part of that journey. And now everyone in the community wants to be a part of that as well. And they strive for it. Right. It's something like that, that golden um North star that you're, you're aiming for, right. It gives you that inspiration and same with like how Kevin Lau did it, right. They took their, their Marketo um, community and they created purple select within it. They didn't create a whole separate identity for it. Right. And so that's a way that you work together in unison because you're right. Customers are, we're all so busy and we forget all the things we work on. Right. So how are we expect our customers to be somehow have all this time on their hands and willing to jump through hoops to engage with us and remember yeah. all of this. Right, exactly. They're not. And and I, I think we, we think because we create something awesome that they're going to want to go there too. And the reality is they don't have time. And really the onus is on us to say, what are the platforms? What are the frameworks we've already built? How can we carve out a piece of that so it feels like a natural add-on 
for people, not here's a whole separate new thing. Go over here to do this completely separate other thing. I, I have not seen that strategy work. I just don't think also it's a necessary one if you already have this community. It's like a big tent. There's just different spots within it. Not We need to create a whole new tent over here for this other group. Why? One of my favorite analogies to help people uh, visualize this is the campus, right? A college campus or a university campus. Your support center is just a building. It's just a function on that campus. Community is the entire campus. Your education, your training are all part of the community. Your advocacy is a part of the community. All of these are just different buildings, but community is the giant campus that everybody lives on, mm -hmm. right? And, and so that community is really your main spot to direct people out to the different buildings that exist within the community. Absolutely. I love that analogy. And that's so apt because I think there's been this notion of community is this one outbuilding that's off in the field behind the campus. <laughs> and really, it's it's the whole thing. It's all people. It's all your customers. And pretending like there's just this one place where they are and where they go, it's just reductive. And it's not a reflection of how people actually are within the world of their experience of your product or service. Definitely. And, and Ari, it's funny that you bring up um, college campuses, because I, I was, I was going to say that the, what Josh mentioned about asking your customers what channels they're using, I think that's going to be incredibly important in the future with Gen Z moving into the workforce. What channels are they on? Are we going to be seeing B2B communities on Discord, for example, or Twitch? Like, we need to know what channels this new generation are on in order to be able to reach them appropriately and reach them in spaces where they're comfortable and familiar. Like a lot of marketers, we've become very, very familiar, very, very used to building communities on certain platforms, but there's this whole other space out there that we're just not yet engaging with. And we need to ask this new generation that's moving into the workforce, how do we want to build a community with you? Yeah, and actually have some of them help with the building of community so that there's an authentic voice that understands these channels that those of us who are from different generations may not. Nothing's more cringy than trying to have a, a spot on a channel that you don't get. And so it's really useful to, to think like, okay, we need people on our community teams who are from different generations, who understand different contexts, who are from different regions and can really understand the needs of the global audience in a way that those of us who are based in one place can't. Speaking of the global audience, Josh, um, I think one of the challenges that comes up a lot for like, producing these kinds of communities, particularly if you're in a smaller business, is if you've got a global community, how can you make sure that you're responding to users when they're when they're using the community like if you're if your community team is working single hours in a single time zone how do you make sure you're keeping responsive to the needs of people who might be in a time zone on the other side of the world i mean if we're being honest it's really hard and it's not always possible you have to be realistic about for the size of your community team what's possible for you to realistically achieve and do and it may be that you know there's a community program team of two people, and yet you have a whole global audience, but both of those people are based in San Francisco, let's say, both of whom only speak English, that's going to create some challenges for your community program. So it may be worth it to, to actually set a boundary and say, even though we have a global community, realistically, we can only answer questions or help our community or engage them in English. And say that in the community itself, like make, make it clear, like, 
our team is limited. Like, you don't have to hide things from people. You can just be honest. But you can also say we are looking for, let's say we're talking about an ambassador program. We're looking for ambassadors who are in these key languages that we want to support. And you bring those people closer to you as a team and say, hey, here's what what we would love for people like you who are experts on our product and engaged to do. Maybe you answer one question a month in the forum, or maybe you host a periodic webinar, a portion of our webinar in a specific language. So there's ways to engage community members in this effort. But I think it starts by being realistic about what a team itself can achieve. There are limitations that are real. And then if we were to open our arms to having more people work with us who are part of the community, what would that look like? And what's the priority stacked rank order of which languages or which regions we need to gain better understanding in our support? How can we do that to some extent with the community members who are already part of our family and who are engaged? What can we realistically ask of them to do? They don't work for us, we can't pay them. What can we offer in exchange? Can we offer them time with one of our product leaders so they can get some behind the scenes access? Can we offer them enhanced support when they need it? Can we offer them credit to our swag store? Like what is it that we can offer in exchange? Because there always has to be a value exchange in order for that sort of thing to work. But I've found more often than not, when you say to really engaged community members, here's what we're trying to achieve. Would you be interested in working with us to help achieve it? People want to help. That's part of the nature of people who are really active and engaged in communities is they want to participate, but you have to be clear on what the parameters are and what you're trying to do. But I think expecting a tiny community team, which let's face it, most are very tiny, to do and achieve, don't promise the world because you're not going to, to get there. Be realistic about what you can and cannot do, and then look for creative solutions to bridge some of the gaps. You know, as a customer marketer trying to bridge the gap between community and customer marketing, one of the great ways is, hey, if you find advocates out there that are not a part of the community, that are multicultural, that are in different countries, introduce them to the community managers, have them. This is a great way for them to advocate in other languages. Also, let's say you're not a multinational or global company. You can do the same thing with individual advocates. You can even reach out to a community member and say, hey. Who are some of your best champions within the community? Let, let us help show them off in your community. Let us Absolutely. make some marketing materials and assets for you to be that shining light, the lighthouse kind of community members that can inspire other community members. So you're doing, you're giving value to the community first before asking to pull things away from the community itself. A thousand percent. One thing I, I just want to mention is the world of customer marketing, customer advocacy and community I think it's useful to, to define which level of customer each is trying to work with. Like, so for instance, at Asana, most customer marketing happens at the executive and VP and above level. Whereas the community is really designed to work with people who are using the product who are director level and below. And as it turns out, most organizations have those varying levels of people. And so this is where the, the two worlds can really combine together, where Ari, just as you were saying, if customer marketing is speaking with someone that they're using for a future case study, who is a VP at company X, not X, but company X, <laughs> uh, 
That's a really great opportunity for the customer marketer to say like, hey, who are the champions within your org? Let's make sure that they're connected to the community program. And the community program can then feature those people in a community webinar or in a Slack message in the community Slack. So there's there's really great ways when we're talking about working with a singular company that we can look at these different altitudes of personas within a company and make sure each of them is being connected to the place that can meet their needs best and offer more value to them. Such a good point. Such a such a small nuance that is so powerful, actually, to think about it that way. So great, great point. And, and planting seeds for the future. Hopefully, by having this community available to the users, having your product available to the users, it's going to help them climb the ladder. They'll reach, reach executive levels. They'll be the decision makers, potentially a different company. And they might want to use your product as well because they've got so used to that community and the benefits it can bring as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think it's also, as part of that conversation, showing this customer, we think about everyone at every level at your organization and we make sure there's a spot for everybody. Definitely, definitely. So these are some of the, the best practices we've outlined here, I think. But what are some of the pitfalls that need to be avoided? What what kind of mistakes do you see that come up quite, quite a lot when it's, people are trying to build these kinds of communities? I think we've touched on a few um, already, but let's see if we can deal, drill a bit deeper into them. Yeah, unfortunately, there are a lot that I've seen. I do a lot of advising on community for other organizations. And one of the things that usually gives me pause is when someone comes to me and says, I want a community for my company, and they can't tell me why. They can't say, here's what we're trying to drive with it. Here's the value we think we want to offer to customers. It's just, this is a thing we should have. How do we do it? I think you have to get really clear, and this is really important, especially from the decision maker and stakeholder perspective of what is it that we are trying to do? Why are we trying to do it? And what is the priority level of it? This becomes very important when it comes to resourcing and making sure that there's budget and making sure that there's headcount to actually do the work that's involved in community building. Because when you don't have this, when you don't have the buy-in and the alignment, then it's like community is important this quarter, but it's not important the next quarter. And that's problematic on a variety of levels. But the main way that it's problematic is because once you invite people into a community program and then you let the program languish, the people go away and they're not coming back. And you only can go one way once you're down this path. The train left the station. You got to keep the train going because if you let the train slow down, derail, it can't come back. It's not going back to the station. You have to make it really clear to decision makers that if we're going to do community, let's be clear why. Let's make sure we have a realistic time frame for when we're trying to see what the results are. And by the way, the results should be defined. And you have a way to track and report on them so that you, you have a notion going into it of this is a strategy. This is not an overnight strategy. We need resourcing. Here's what we need and here's why. Here are the results that we're trying to build. And then you have checkpoints along the way because the, the worst thing that can happen, and this is the biggest mistake I see, is community starts either because some decision maker says we need to have it or because there's someone really motivated down in the organization who wants to start it. Neither is totally wrong, but neither is totally right either because for both of them, there's no alignment on company-wide why we're doing this. And without that, it, it really is never set up for success. I've worked with many people who are the super engaged person who's a little bit further down in the org who's, who wants to start a community or has started something on the side. 
and they're not getting any buy-in or resourcing. And so they can't really achieve anything. And because they're not really achieving anything because their, their resourcing is too small, there's never enough to prove to senior decision makers that this is a thing that should happen. And conversely, on the, the top end, when the decision maker wants it, but they can't say why, and they aren't clear on what they're trying to achieve, then it's hard to direct the team for what the strategies will be to get them to wherever they're supposed to go. When there's no destination in mind, where are they going to go and how are they going to get there? So uh, this level of alignment is by far the biggest mistake, the biggest pitfall that I see. Uh, and that that is one that can be solved by having conversations between decision makers and sometimes with people who are engaged in the community or the precursors to community and in, in understanding what it is that they'd want. Another challenge that I see is making the community program more about what the business wants and needs than about the customer. And the truth is, if it is a business community, there needs to be a business reason, a business value for it. But it needs to be balanced with here's what the business wants and needs. And here's what the customers who would be part of this community want and need. There needs to be equality for both sides, because if it's just the business saying we need to do this, we want this, we need this to happen. Customers, they figure that out real quickly. And as it turns out, as we talked about earlier, they already have jobs that they're trying to do things for. They don't want to do a whole lot for you if you're not doing something for them. So that concept of give, get has to be built into and baked into the community program. And then for me, like I sit within the world of marketing. I look at everything through a marketing lens and not treating community as a marketing channel, thinking of it as a strategic pillar of marketing, I think is a mistake because it, it is one of the most customer facing channels that you have. And one, one pitfall I've seen a lot of community programs fall into is they only look at it through the lens of we're deflecting tickets, we're solving problems, right. rather than that being one facet of what it does. And then the bulk of the messaging that comes out of community, if you look at it in a broader sense, can be around celebrating customers, sharing stories, giving examples and inspiration, rather than here's how to solve a problem. It, you can tell the whole story, but you need to think of it through marketing messaging, messaging that aligns with the rest of what marketing is saying, using similar language, using similar visuals. So it all feels like it's part of a cohesive whole. And then the, the last thing that I see fairly often is it's interesting in the world of community, we actually collect a lot of data about customers and beyond just like, are they using the forum and for what? If you if you tie, use a community, a community dashboarding tool to tie the different surfaces together, you actually have a lot of data about your customers, what they're doing, what they're interested in, what their intent is. But I found a lot of community leaders I speak with are really afraid of data. And I, I think they tend to lean more on the like people relationship oriented side. And the truth is you need both. And I've talked to a lot of folks who are like, well, I have a feeling we should do this. I think we should do this. And when I ask, like, okay, let's see what the data says to help us inform the decision. It's not the only thing that informs the decision, but it needs to be a piece of it. They don't have it or they're afraid to look at it. And I think for community leaders, we need to be comfortable with both the intuition and the data to help us make the best decisions. What are some of the key data points that you look at that influence decisions? So we look at because we have many channels that we cover in the community program, we look at where people are most active, how active they are there, how frequently. That's really useful for us in figuring out where we wanna spend efforts. 
whether it's to shore up something that is lagging or to really turn up something that is doing really well. We also look at, because my program includes events, we look at what type of events are people attending? What are they interested in? What are they telling us they want for the future? And that helps us inform not just our own programming, but programming for the entirety of customer education. Yeah. We also look at, because we have a variety of ways that we invite people into the community program, we look at what are the channels that are successful for us in bringing in not just people, but really well-qualified people who end up being very active in the program. These are all things that for us, I, I look at metrics through two dimensions. One is program health. Those are all program health. Like, how is our program doing? Is it growing? Are we getting people in? Are they engaging? But then we look at a whole other set of data of business impact, which for us is of the people who are part of our program as compared to baseline customers, what does their growth trajectory look like using the product? And those are the types of things that the business cares about. They don't care how well the program is doing, but they do care about, oh, people who are part of the community program, they use the product X times more than people who are not, and they retain X times better. These are very tangible metrics that I can speak with in a language that the rest of the business understands. And that's how you get more resourcing. From, from one thing, I know we've got to kind of wrap up, right, Will? And this is a great kind of last we can, segment. We can, we can keep we going can if you, you guys want to. Right. Yeah, yeah. Well, I do. Want, I just want to bring up that train analogy. I've been I've been dwelling on it since you said it, and I love it because one of the things that both in community and advocacy programs is we have this idea of set it and forget it sometimes, which is if we build it, they will come, but then we're done and they're going to run it. And the community is supposed to be customers for customers running it for like sure that's the ideal state once you climb the mountain, but to get there right is, you know, this train, you built the tracks and you're saying, well, we put the train on the tracks now, now the customers are all going to run the train. But if that train goes and it stops, like you said, and everybody gets off, it is much more expensive to pull that train and tow it back into the station, figure it out and rebuild it. And guess what you just did to all those customers who got on that ride? Do you think they're going to trust you again when they're that busy to get on that train that stopped in the middle of nowhere and they had to get out once they dedicate, right? So you have to think about like, what is that actual experience like for being on that train that stops in the middle of nowhere? And that's how you, and this analogy is really powerful because analogies work great when speaking to upper management, right? When you're talking to executives, analogies, because they have short attention spans, are really good at grafting attention. So I love this train analogy, right? Because now you've got empty train tracks, you built it, it's there, but there's no train on it and there's nobody driving through it. So what's the point of the train tracks? Yeah. And I think it's because, especially in the world of marketing, most marketing is we set it, we send something, people click or they don't, and that's it. And there's no there's no relationship. It's just something leaves our world and goes into their world. In the world of community and customer marketing, if we do our jobs well, we send something out into the world and then they do something and come back to us. A uh, conversation is started and continues. That notion is not well understood because so much of, of what we try have in the past have tried to do as marketers, especially is we need things that are set it and forget it. We need things that just like go out and do the job and then we can move on to the next thing. But there really is no moving on to the next thing in customer advocacy or in community. It's enhancing and shoring up these relationships that you are building. That never ends. If you do your job well, that never ends. 
Okay. And it shouldn't. It's, it's, that's it shouldn't. The fun that, part. that is part and parcel of this work. It's yeah. relationship building. In community, it's relationship building at scale. In customer marketing, it's often relationship building on a more one-to-one level. But it's still relationship building. It, you know, you just you just made me think about, like, this all ties to the subscription economy. It's a subscription, right? We don't sell anymore the perpetual sell. We don't want to sell and be done and have them move on. Well, why would you expect anything different from your relationships or from your marketing practices? Why are we doing these one-off events that have no subscription to them, That's right? It. So it's really interesting. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, so when it comes to sort of the, the passengers on the train and this relationship building, obviously a relationship needs to be fairly two-way street. And we, we've talked a lot about customers in terms, well, community members in terms of maybe the more extroverted members of the community but what about those introverts what about that there's this concept in communities that customer marketers might not be familiar with of passive observers is that something that we need to be concerned about well let's, let's actually talk about what are passive observers first in communities and then talk about if they are something we need to be concerned about if they are something that is a problem in a community yeah i think the concept of passive observer is really about like using the forum as an example, people who log into the forum, they read questions and answers, but they may not post or participate in conversations. Similarly, maybe if you have an ambassador program, people become ambassadors, but they're not super active in private channels, or maybe they attend webinars that are just for ambassadors or champions, whatever the framework is at your organization, but they don't chime in with questions or they're just there. To me, this is not a problem as long as it's balanced with you have other people who are very active in conversations and you have other people who are very active when attending events and, and want to chat with other people, I think there's different kinds of people. And some people really want to absorb information and that is what they are coming to the community for and they are getting what they need. There are other people who want to come to a community webinar and want to chat with other people. They are getting what they need. I think this is less about the passive observers and more about the community as a whole and making sure that whoever that person is, and people are different on different days, by the way, uh, that there is something for them to get what they need out of whatever the experience is. I think there's too much, in my opinion, too much emphasis on how do we take the passive observers and make them active participants? Maybe they don't want to be like, okay, like let's deal with that and move on and focus on the people who do really want to engage, create more things for them. And then don't forget about the people who just want to consume, create things for them too. I think this speaks more to what the, the community leader wants rather than what the community participant wants. I'm less interested in what I want and I'm more interested in what the people who are part of my program want. Definitely. I mean, at the end of the day, some people at the house party do want to hang out in the kitchen. They don't want to be on the dance floor. Um, but let's say like you've got certain metrics about levels of engagement within the community and you've got someone, a key stakeholder looking at those stats. What would you say is like the balance that you should be aiming for? Is it more sort of dependent on industry or dependent on vertical when it comes to sort of active participants and the passive observers? Uh, I will answer this the way that I answer most questions of this sort is that it depends. It depends on the nature of your product and service. It depends on the nature of the community program that you put together and the types of ways that people can participate. And there isn't a one size fits all with this type of thing. I think it's it's better to with the decision maker or a stakeholder to understand what it is that they are trying to solve for. 
Like, what is it that they think will happen if uh, an engagement rate goes up by 5% or down by 10%? What is the, What do they think that means? And you as the community leader need to understand what it actually means so you can help bridge the understanding and knowledge gap. Don't assume that stakeholders automatically know what all these things that happen under the hood of community actually mean because they probably don't. And that's through no fault of their own. Like I said at the very beginning of our conversation, community is still a function that is not very well understood. And so I would take it upon myself to help educate decision makers and stakeholders as here's the metrics that we're collecting, here's what they mean. And I would make sure to translate that into a language that they can understand. Not that they can't understand what's going on in community, but a language that is relevant for them when it comes to business results. That's usually what they care about. If they're asking about community engagement, I don't think that they're really asking about how many people are posting in the forum. I doubt that they care. I think what they're more interested in, what is the business impact that this is having? And does engagement level have some factor into what the business impact looks like? Uh, I suppose that's why it's very important to ensure the community team isn't siloed with the data. You've got to make sure you're working very closely with the community team on this kind of stuff. The most engaged members on the community might not be the the customers with the highest uh, lifetime value. It could be those passive observers who are actually coming back and purchasing products and responding to customer marketing programs. Well, yeah, because as an example, you may have a, a participant in the community program who is super engaged. They attend every webinar. They show up at every event. They're constantly posting in the forum and in a private Slack group. But as it turns out, they're at a 10-person company that is on a free plan. Is that customer and that level of engagement more valuable than someone who is at a 10,000 person organization that's paying your company hundreds of thousands of dollars a year, but only attends a few of the events that you host for ambassadors periodically? There's no right answer there, ostensibly, but I'm guessing the decision maker would probably care more about the person who's at the multi hundred thousand dollar a year organization rather than the person who is super active, but at a, a free organization, a free customer. There's an asterisk on that, which is if you can show that the person at the free freemium model at the 10 person company is generating a lot of business through his active advocacy or there, I should say, it could be he, she, or them. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it depends on what they're generating. What are they doing? What are they influencing? And so if you can get to that level of attribution, which is down the road, right, then you can start to make the case. But until you can make that case, it's going to be a pretty hard uphill battle that you're going to make. Right. And I, and we've all fought that before. Um, and, and, you know, one of the things I learned really early on uh, was I, I worked at a, a company where a content management knowledge management company, and I dealt with technical document writers so I can say that over 50% of the people that I dealt with were introverted, right? There were people who like to show up at a quota. They didn't want a light shined on them. They didn't want to stick their hands up. They just want to get their job done, go home and do the things that they really like to do. Some of them really love technical document writers, but that was far and few between. This was a job for a lot of them. And so I learned very early on that value delivery and, and perceived value is so important to get people moved down this path because I had to go, I I won't exist if I just rely on the people who like to talk about this because it's not enough. And so learning how to find those passive observers and deliver value to them and then slowly but surely ink them into a way where they realize that you're helping them build their own personal value and brand up will open the doors. 
And, and like you said earlier, part of, I have this drive advocacy model. Part of it is, you know, the refined stage, which is not everyone is good at the same things. Some people are great at writing a blog. Some people are great on stage. Some people are great on stage in front of thousands of people. You put them in front of a camera and they melt, right? So finding what people are good at. Now you can ask people what they're good at and what do they like to engage with? But you, what I see so many people do wrong is they do that right out of the gates before you've delivered any value. People join your community or your advocacy program. You go, do you want to do references for us? Do you want to write blogs? Do you want raise your hand for all these things? They're like, whoa, 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 whoa. I just want to see what's going on here first. So what you want to do is set up stages where you go, okay, they've engaged in this many things organically. They've returned this many times. They've partaken in all these things where we're giving value first. Now we've reached a threshold. We can say, hey, would you like to do this in the future? We're not even asking you right now, but is this something you're interested in? Because now you have an engaged person who understands the value that they're starting to feel for themselves before you start to pull everything out of them, right? So it's value delivery and, and giving value first and foremost is the way to build. And it's just like a relationship, right? You want to build, when I come and meet you, I'm not going to ask you for a billion things first. If you're right. a good person at networking and, and making friends, you say, hey, what can I do to help you? Right? Yeah. Who can I it, do to you? Yeah. It's like inviting people into the community. It's like meeting someone on a first date and being like, you check all my boxes. Would you like to get married? <laughs> yeah, exactly. What kind of house would you like to build together? And would you like to have exactly how many kids? It's like, wait, we, we just met. Please slow your roll. Let's make sure, like, I need to get to know this person, this space, all of the things. It's like, relax, we'll get there. We don't need to get there on day one. Imagine at the beginning of a date, if you walked in, this is such a perfect, you're good at these. I like you, Josh. So you walk into the date, you sit down, you say, hey, I just want to start it off. You're lovely. Looks like we're going to have a great time. Would you be willing to leave me a five-star review at the end of this date? <laughs> It hasn't even started yet. You know, it's like, what? That's not how you ask. Quite. That's not how you build a relationship. And we have to understand, even in B2B, we start to think of numbers at the end of the day. And this is something you said right at the beginning of this recording, which is we're all humans. We are all humans. We all have hearts. We all bleed. Right. And, and we all want to feel valued at the end of the day. And if you make us feel like all you care about is getting that five-star review, Right that isn't going to build it for us. And that isn't going to make us feel attached to you. And that we all say, how do we build our brand and make us customer champions and customer centric, but you don't want to do the work that makes you customer centric. Right. This is actually true with a lot of companies that I speak with is they, they want to leapfrog to the end where they have all the reviews and they have the case studies and they have customers raving about them, but they don't want to do any of the work in between today and making that happen. Right. None and of the like. Yeah, that, that's, that's, it doesn't work that way. I'm sorry. I, I wish, I, I mean, I don't actually wish that there was a button that I could fast forward because then you're not actually creating any value for the customer. But totally. this is, this is just a, a notion that is not well understood yet. It will be at some point, just not yet. Yeah. I mean, not to, not to belabor the analogy too much, but yeah, buy your community members a drink first before you start yeah. asking for stuff. So Josh, we've covered a lot of ground here and I feel like there is so much more we could explore here, but I think one things that I've noticed throughout this conversation, we've talked about how important it is to get buy-in from stakeholders, to get coordination with different departments. And one of the best ways to do that is not to talk about hypotheticals. Hypotheticals are great. And we've talked a lot about hypotheticals that have been fantastic, but let's see if we can 
pull out some, let's wrap things up with maybe some really practical examples of how the community at Asana has impacted your business goals. Like how has it really had an impact there? And maybe some examples yeah. of how you move the needle in those respects using community. Sure. So worth noting is at community at Asana within our community program, there's three main program pillars that we have. One is our membership program, which is ambassadors. And those are for people who are like super champions for Asana and really want to spread the word within their team and beyond. Then there's an events program, which are online and offline events for community specifically. And then there's the community forum. We look at the entirety of the program when we're talking about the results and the impact that it's having for the business. So some of the things that the entire program has done, we can point specifically to pipeline driven by the community program. As it turns out, most decision makers within a business understand pipeline and community sourced pipeline. So that's a very useful metric to be able to point to. But beyond that, we look, I really care about like, these are people who care about our product. Can we get them to use the product more and get them stickier with it? And we can point directly to when people are part of the community program, when they attend an event, when we share a new feature with them as part of our private webinar, or if the forum leaders who are part of our, our forum program share an update, what changes in someone's account? How does that affect the longevity of their account? How does it affect the growth of seats within their account? We can point to all of those things. And for those of you who are, are listening to this recording, I would look for what, where can you tie the, the dots together of you do this in community and there's a correlation with this thing happening over here as a result. The more of those you can pull together in, in ways that are easily understood by the rest of the business, people will really notice and they will care. Because at the end of the day, then you're helping other people within your own organization achieve their goals too. And so uh, I think it, it sometimes takes a while to get all the data pieces in the right spot so that you can report on these things, but you want to be able to show the impact that your program is having. I'm lucky it's taken me literally years, but we have most of our data in a spot where we can do that. Awesome. Josh, uh, yeah, as you said, it can take a while, but I think the benefits are clear of sort of aligning community and customer marketing. Thank you very much for joining us today. And thank you very much, Ari, as well for your contributions. Um, yeah, I really enjoyed this conversation. Um, as I said, a big fan of community. I feel like I've learned a lot. I'm sure the audience has learned a lot. So I'm sure they're grateful for you sharing your insights today as well. Oh, it's my pleasure. It's great chatting with the two of you. And thanks everyone for listening. Thank you for listening to this special episode of Customer Marketing Catch Up. Make sure to check out our socials on LinkedIn and Facebook to get clips, thoughts and roundups of the events. If you're interested in attending one of our upcoming events, you can find our events calendar at events.customermarketingalliance.com. Thank you.